Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gann. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. We hope you like our new setup. Um, like I said in the past podcast, we are toying with it. We were standing in the last episode. Yeah. Now we are sitting, uh, so we're just still messing with a lot of stuff. But if you are just listening on the podcast side, go over to YouTube, uh, Focus Compounding, and take a look at it. I think it looks uh, really good, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. Also, Jeff and I, we are going to be in New York uh, November 11th through the 15th. And we are going to be meeting with prospective investors, um, you know, for the new fund launch or just individuals interested in the managed accounts in general. Um, go to our Invest With Us page. You can see the presentation that we put out if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that. Uh, but if you want uh, to meet up with Jeff and myself, reach out at invest at focuscompounding.com. Again, that's invest at focuscompounding.com uh, to get on the calendar to meet up with us in the Big Apple. Right, November 11th through 15th. November 11th through the 15th. So um, in past episodes, we've, when we've had, I guess, more of a deep podcast, we were referencing some titles uh, from this poll that we um, sent out over Twitter um, at Focus Compound um, to see what a lot of people would be interested in learning about. And it was a complete useless poll because it was pretty much even right. you know, yeah. between what people would be interested in learning about. So we decided, okay, I guess we're going to do every one of these episodes. Um, but one of them was on the income statement and how to profit above the bottom line. So let's spend an episode. Uh, we have a video on the balance sheet, which you guys can take a look at on mm -hmm. our YouTube or podcast. We have a video on the cash flow statement, which right. is actually one of our most followed videos, yeah, a lot believe of it or not. A lot of people yeah. loved it. It got a ton of yeah. engagement. Uh, so we're going to do the income statement now. And um, maybe let's just you know start from the first thing you look at. When is the income statement? Uh, the well, the first thing that I'd look at would be revenue and operating profit and to some extent gross profit. Okay. Yeah. Now, why is that? Um, well, I'd want to look at the level that we're talking about in terms of, you know, you have some idea of the price of the company, the size of the yeah. company, uh, the price of the stock. And so I, sales are usually the best thing to compare it to. Probably price to sales is going to be a more accurate number in terms of like deciding it's a cheap stock or not than price to earnings. Okay. And gross profit works kind of the same way, which is that gross profit is probably going to vary less than uh, earnings in any one year. So I'm going to have less faith in the P-E ratio than I am, say, like a, a P uh, to sales ratio, a price to sales ratio, or like EV to sales, or even looking at gross profit numbers. Now, why do you think, so you just said P-E to sales. We right. really look at EV to sales. Yes. Right. I guess mm -hmm. what's the difference between it and what should investors focus on if you, um, you know, had to uh, tell them what to focus on? I mean, we usually look at enterprise value, yeah. And because that obviously adjusts for, for the cash and the debt. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's more of a, 
I guess you could say an acquisition type of way. Yeah. You know, and the way obviously we think about companies is what would a private buyer would, would pay for the business in mm-hmm. five to 10 years. Uh, so that's obviously why we use enterprise value. Yeah. And you could use whichever one is more conservative. If they have too much cash, you know, then you could say, oh, well, maybe I'll never get the cash back. Maybe I should use the price to sales. Um, but if they have a lot of debt, then you'd use the enterprise value of sales. Yeah. Got it. So um, what about sales growth? What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, sales growth is important, but he, this is why I'm talking about gross profit too. Yeah. At some companies, I just wrote up a company where I don't think sales growth is meaningful at all. Um, gross profit growth is the only thing that matters. And uh, that happens sometimes. So if you have um, different products and services that have very different gross margins, right, then you're going to want to see um, growth in those areas that have that actually produce most of the profit. Okay. So for instance, I wrote up Virtue Motors not that long ago on yeah. the website. And there they get a very small amount of their total sales, like a lot of car dealers, from... Um, parts and maintenance, right? So servicing. Uh, but it's a very meaningful part of gross profit. Yeah. So it might be like less than 10%. A lot of car deals would be less than 10% of revenue, but it'll yeah. be more than 30% of gross profit. And when you add in other things, uh, UK car dealers don't break them out, but in the US they do. When you add in things like commissions on um, uh, selling you know, insurance and, and um, loans and things like that, then you're getting towards like 50% of gross profit possibly. Uh-huh. And yet it's a small amount in terms of revenue because it's a very high profit area. Whereas like selling a new car, the actual sale of a car is very low gross profit area. So that's important to break down the actual mix in terms of gross profit rather than the mix in terms of sales. I don't think the mix in terms of sales matters. Do you think like... Um- um, I guess in that situation, selling the actual automobiles themselves is I, sort of like a lost leader in a yeah, way. To yeah. get, it's kind of like it, a razor and blade type sure. of business. It's similar to like elevators or something where the the amount of profit made on a new deal is small, but then you get the contract for the yeah. long term. Yeah. And how do you find out that information? I uh, guess I mean like because yeah. I mean that's probably not in the if if they don't break it down it's they not do break be the it down there yeah um, or you go to segment revenue and right, later on in the ten k right. in the U S the SEC will have them do uh, in their SEC report they will break it down by business segment um, sometimes they won't as much as I would like to see yeah yeah but uh, but you know a good example also is I was looking at a company that is a uh, dealer in. Um, all sorts of uh, physical metals, physical gold, precious metals. And uh, they would book really high revenue numbers, but then their gross profit would be very small. Their gross profit, their gross margin would always be less than 1% of sales or almost always be less than 1% of sales. Wow. So obviously the sales number doesn't matter that much because most of that is just offsets, right? They're, they're just things that they're just passing through basically, mm-hmm. right? It's the gross number that matters. So very often, I mean, if you had to focus on just one line, I would say the gross profit line probably makes more sense than sales or than um, earnings in terms of trying to predict the long-term future of the company. Yeah. yeah. And I, this kind of reminds me, so like what, three and a half years ago, it's okay. like one of the first, first posts that you wrote up for Focus Compounding. Um, you were referencing how Charlie Munger always calls EBITDA BS earnings, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that people should learn to move up the income statement, I right. guess, to get like a more actual picture of what the company it's 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 less subjective to you know different gyrations that companies can pull to make earnings you know look good or not so i mean what he was saying is that using ebitda in place of earnings is absolutely wrong and i agree with that yeah Yeah. and so when i'm saying look at gross profit that doesn't mean that you get to keep gross profit obviously the reason why people started using ebitda is to make bondholders feel like they were protected when they weren't sure you know and and then in the dot-com era to make it feel like you were making money when you weren't yet making (laughs) money yeah but it is important to look at those things like like we'll take a good example right now uh, tandy so tandy leather is in the middle of trying to like turn around their business yeah right? if you look at their earnings 
staying power, you could just look at like their past and get an idea for it of what it would look like turned around. But you also could just look at this year and see that they have a lot of gross profit. Uh -huh. And so you can tell that if they can be very efficient in their business, if their organization can be improved, if it can turn around, then you would just have a huge increase in, in profits versus what you have now. Whereas that's not likely at a, companies that have a much lower uh, amount of gross profit. It's just it's just there's not as much that you could cut that would yeah. fix things there uh -huh. yeah a huge amount of like what tandy makes in gross profit ends up being spent on on things that could internally be fixed probably sure you know? yeah so it gives you an idea for like turnarounds and things like that for things that are operationally fixable yeah and i guess you know kind of talking about when you use the example of like an automobile or mm -hmm. an auto auto dealership right where like, it's kind of like a razor and blade in a way and they make a lot of money on the service uh of those company or of those cars it's kind of like costco for example right it has right. incredibly high gross margins but the more you go down on the on the income statement those margins get thinner and thinner um but mm -hmm. it's almost like they break even on the actual products that they sell but right. they make money on the actual sir or the membership right you know yeah so Costco's built to sort of have a a gross margin on its actual sales of merchandise that basically can just cover its operating expenses. Yeah. And then the other side of it is that it's like pure profit in terms of the memberships, basically. Mm -hmm. You can sort of think of it as those two ways, kind of like the the idea is to get you to be a member, and then in exchange you're getting sort of at their cost at the best they can supply it to you. Yeah. All these things. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so let's go a little bit further down. So now we have um, like operating expenses. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that typically stands out to you or what you typically look for in, well, in that category? Category. Yeah, some companies break down that kind of stuff further, and it's great if they break down um, marketing yeah. separately. Uh -huh. So if you can break out uh, G&A expense from selling expenses, then that's very helpful. And that's something that Phil Fisher would, would yeah. probably look at, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And he would also look at R&D, which is broken out by some companies. Yeah. But again, it's not broken out in a lot of cases, so that's a problem that you have. That A lot of companies will just be like SG&A, and will include all of that sort of stuff together. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then we have operating expenses, and then we have the actual operating income, mm -hmm. right? EBIT, earnings before interest and yeah. taxes. This is a, a um, I guess, an item on the income statement that a lot of people like to use. So you right. like to use gross profit. Of course, we obviously look at EBIT, but mm -hmm. a lot of other investors that write, they say, you know, EBIT is good as well because it's more of an apples to apples approach to yeah. other businesses. And the reason they say that is because why? Because different companies have different tax structures and, yeah. and stuff like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just a way of comparing EV to EBIT is a clean way of comparing that. For companies in the same industry, I'm not sure that like EV to EBIT and EV to EBITDA will make a difference. People always ask that question. Yeah. I don't think it will matter that much. But in different industries and with different business models, it would matter a great deal. Yeah. So that's the other thing with the income statement is thinking about depreciation and amortization and all those things, which are big items on, on um, the income statement. And that will be broken out really in every company they're going to break that out yeah and so it's important to think about you know what is real depreciation that matters and that kind of can be by looking at capex and what it is and what they're depreciating um usually depreciation is going to be a much more uh real expense than amortization uh-huh yeah so obviously we like incredibly predictable companies right mm -hmm. that's sort of what we the types of businesses that we like and that's yeah. in the quality factor of looking at a company mm -hmm. so how do you what do you do to determine if a business is incredibly predictable? And, I, and it has to do with the EBITDA margin or the EBIT margins and what we do. And maybe you could explain that process on why we do it, right? So and, you know how you do it. Yeah. So like, just um, it's easy to do just by looking at it. So yeah. That was the first thing you can go to a site like we always talk about QuickFS.net. 
just because it's a very quick site. It literally loads fast. You can see 10 years pretty instantly. It's, yeah. it's clutter-free. Pagers, but, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you could go to any of those sites that have those kinds of data. And um, you just look at the variability in the um, margins. And you can also do it by going into Excel and looking at what I look at is the coefficient of variation, which is just the um, standard deviation scale to the mean. So what that means is that if you have like a 5% margin and it's fluctuating up to seven and down to three, that's gonna look the same as if it was a 50% margin fluctuating from 30 to 70, right? Uh -huh. So it, it's just scaled that way so that uh, it isn't hurting, say, supermarkets or something that might be operating around a 2% operating margin, but always have a one to 3% margin and yet rewarding companies that, uh, uh, I should say penalizing companies that that have a fluctuation of 10%, but they have like a 20% margin, you know? Yeah. So comparing those, they're really the same in many ways. Uh-huh, sure. And obviously we do that because you're, there's some element of prediction, obviously, in investing. So yeah. you just want to stick to incredibly predictable companies. Yeah, and I think it's also just a symptom. It's a sign uh, in the past that the shocks that happened in the economy were passed through them and absorbed by other companies. You sure. don't want to be invested in the company that is the shock absorber for the economy yeah. or the industry or whatever. You want to be invested in the one that has relatively the same sort of results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sure. No, I think that's great. Okay, so then let's um, go a little bit further down. So we have EBIT, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have... Taxes, yes. Interest, right? Or uh, I'm sorry, just taxes. Yeah. Taxes, yeah. And then you um, have um, net income. So I guess, do you typically look at anything in the tax item? I mean, do you see what the tax rate is? Kind of, is there anything that yeah. could, so, could stick out to you? So I mean, if the tax rate had been the same for a long time, uh, it, corporate tax rates in the U.S. changed. So if they hadn't changed, then what I would do is just look at the long-term past, the last 10 or so years, and yeah. then figure out on average what I think their taxes will be by just assuming the past taxes. Mm -hmm. Now I would do that plus adjust for the tax cut. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so so, so like people that? ask me, like, what do I think NACO pays in taxes? I would say I think 13%. Yeah. But I don't know that. But it could be theoretically if like I was a tax accountant, you could find ways that they could pay 21% or like 9%. Yeah. There's certain income that they have that could be as low as like 9 yeah. or as high as like 21. But I think on average, it'll average out to like 13 or something. Got it. Um, and that has to do with allowances for certain things. In their case, they have a, a depletion allowance because mm -hmm. they're taking coal out of the ground. Got it. And actually, we did not talk about interest. So, uh, okay, uh, yeah. Before taxes. Yeah. So, obviously, interest is uh, what they pay on debt, for example. Right. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, do you typically look at, um, I mean, obviously, if they're paying a ton of interest <laughs> relative to their earnings, that would be pretty troublesome. But, I mean, yeah. what, what typically stands out to you? So, the, the interest thing, you, you'll just figure out by looking at the, I mean, what I literally do is look at the amount of interest and the amount of debt divided into it before even reading the comments about what they say their debt yeah. costs them. Sure. Um, the reason why, like, you have to do it from an analysis perspective is if you're using the enterprise value, then you're going to have to put back the interest to make it fair to do the comparison. So yeah. that's why analysts do it, whether it's right or not. So, for instance, like, enterprise value to free cash flow, which we might care about, is an analyst would say that's not the right way of doing it because, of course, you're, you're, the debt has interest on it, and yet we're counting that interest, deducting it from the company when we get free cash flow. So, you know, it's a, a way of being unfair to the company. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And then we have uh, net income, and then mm -hmm. obviously EPS and shares outstanding. Yes. And you also will have comprehensive income, but almost all the companies I see in the U.S. choose to do that by reporting on a separate statement. Uh -huh. They're allowed to do it on the same statement, yeah. but they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And then I guess for shares outstanding, I mean, I typically look to see if that's been declining or, or going up. I mean, obviously, that's, that's good to know. We look at that a lot, yeah. Uh -huh. So the shares outstanding, I, I think I've talked a little bit about this before. I use just it as a... Um, 
uh, as a drag on returns. So I just calculate what I think the company has in the past and may in the future uh, dilute by before buying back stock or something. Yep. And then I just assume your returns in the stock will be that much worse every single year. So if they have a history of diluting you by like 0.5% a year, when you do your calculation of what you expect your returns to be, if say you think the stock will return 11% a year, then you just say, now I think it'll return 10.5. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little complicated because they're actually including that stuff in earnings. Right, so they're including stuff about their expenses in earning their stock expenses and earnings, but I don't consider those to be the same sorts of expenses as business expenses. Yeah, if that makes sense. Uh huh. Sure. I consider yeah. it to come right out of the stock. Like yeah. for instance, if you had a very uh, overvalued stock and you were diluting it, that doesn't bother me as much as if you have a very undervalued stock and you were diluting it. Sure. Um, I'm kind of curious. What do you think Buffett looks for on the income statement? And I think a lot of people, uh, yeah. they put themselves almost in a box where they say, oh, if the company has net margins of less than you know, 10%, right. I'm not even going to look at the company. That's true, yeah. Now, I think people have to look at you know, what's the average in the industry, obviously, yeah. because a company like, for example, Costco may have incredibly high gross margins, but their, their net margins may be razor thin, but it's still you know, been a great, a great stock. So it's good to yeah. compare it to the industry. I know, like, for example, the steel business... I don't know. I think you're doing a good job if you have net margins in the 6% area, which is, is incredibly razor thin, but right. relative to the rest of the industry, um, you know, it's whatever. But so I'm kind of curious, what do you think Buffett looks for when he is going down the income statement? I think he probably just cares about the return on capital, which is what we care about too. Yeah. So if we could be as sure about inventory turns or turns of capital in general, uh, we could accept very low margins. And if we could be assured that margins would be really high, then we could accept very low turns. I mentioned Tandy. Tandy doesn't turn its uh, inv- it doesn't turn its capital very quickly. Yeah. So it does generate a lot of um, profit per dollar of sales, but it has to carry quite a lot of inventory in its stores. Um, and how do you see, I guess, inventory? turnover and stuff like that okay so inventory turnover would be the way that i usually look at would be the cost of goods sold okay okay and then you're going to divide that into the inventory that you have right so let or i should say yeah so um let's say you have inventory uh, that shows on the balance sheet beginning and ending of like 100 million dollars or whatever and you have cost of goods sold saying that it's um uh 200 million or something yeah Uh then you've turned your inventory two times Uh just a second ago i said it the reverse way i meant to but um and although sometimes people will be using sales so they'll say sales divided by inventory the reason why i'd be careful about using sales divided by inventory um or sales divided by any capital number is uh that you want to be careful that it's going to reflect the margin yeah so for instance like in the example of tandy or something they're marking it up a lot so that markup is going to make it look like it's turning faster than it is when in reality i think you want to look at it as if there's a big markup and a slow turn is more accurate to the reality than saying that uh sort of by using the sales number you're kind of it's already counting both those things together and making it seem like it's turning faster Mm -hmm. than it really is yeah got it okay so um and then what do you think phil fisher would look for on um on an income statement uh, I definitely would think selling expenses, R and D, marketing, at least in relation to sales, right? Yeah, and that's and a how good effective w- is the sales force. When I say sales stuff, I don't just mean advertising. It's nice to see advertising broken out from sales things. Sure, but very few companies actually break out advertising. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh huh. And it's a very good exercise to, I guess, you could divide into sales, like all of the operating expenses, to see where they're spending a lot of their money on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and we do that with all sorts of companies because in their footnotes to the financial statements, they may include details on exactly. 
exactly um, what sort of things they pay for. Yeah. So, I mean, with um, something like banks or something, I have many times said, you know, here's how much they have in occupancy costs. Here's how much they actually pay for, like, rent and things like that. Yeah. Um, which are sort of things that can scale well. Mm -hmm. Like, that's an explanation of why, whereas some other things can't. So, for instance, if you're paying out 65% of your um, gross profit in uh, compensation, yeah. that's something that's unlikely to drop over time usually. But if you're paying out 65% of your gross profit in rent, yeah. that's something that if you can just increase uh, whatever you get you're generating it, yeah, you get it from there. It, sure. You're usually not going to need as much space to do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we got what would uh, what does Phil Fisher look like or look for? What does mm -hmm. Warren Buffett look for? What does Jeff Gannon look for? Um... Hmm, that's or is it more so stuff that just jumps out to you, or you kind of like, hmm, I should probably take a more look, like a closer look into that. Uh, I mean, obviously, you want to see probably a business with high margins. Well, I mean, well, compared to other people, I think the biggest thing is gross profit. So I do focus more on gross profit. So, yeah. for instance, uh, a lot of people talk about like, did sales grow or did earnings grow? My first question is, did gross profit grow? Because I actually don't care if sales declined if it was um, uh, not good sales that they got rid of, basically. Uh -huh. So if the sales mix um, improved when they uh, had lower sales, that's fine with me, right? Yeah. So for instance, like a company like we were talking about, like a razor and blade company, right? So if a company usually gets a lot of orders for some equipment and it sold less of that equipment this year cyclically, but it's still, it was increasing its service revenue or something, then I'd be okay with that mm -hmm. in a way that I wouldn't if um, it only consisted of selling original equipment, right? Yeah. So definitely seeing consistent growth consistent growth in gross profit is uh -huh. something that I would look at. I, the three lines that I'd always be looking, well, so the I'd predictability looking, of that yeah. gross profit. So just year over year, I'd always be looking at sales, gross profit, and, uh, and operating profit. Uh -huh. yeah. Now, I wouldn't really be looking at net, even though that ultimately is the number that's going to matter the most to you, just because it's affected by so many things along the way. You uh -huh. know? And I guess, so if you are looking at a company that's not growing its top line mm -hmm. by, let's say, you know, 20%, let's say right. it's modestly growing its top mm -hmm. line, maybe by, you know, six to 8% a year. Um, why do you still like companies that are like that? Well, the, the big thing is whether they're growing the thing that I think drives profit faster than the thing that I think is sucking up a lot of the, the, what would be the profit, right? Yeah. So like I was just looking at Daily Journal and one of my concerns there is uh, it's very complicated financials or it's very opaque financials because they're, they're doing a lot of contracts where they aren't actually booking as revenue yet. Yeah. So that's the problem. But if you look, I, you're not seeing revenue growth outpacing growth in things like people's salaries and stuff. And what you want to see is um, in slow, even a slow growing company, if you're seeing consistently that they're growing their revenue faster than they're growing things like salaries and stuff, then you're getting operating leverage from that and it's going it, to, you're going to have good results from that. Sure. So that's something that is on the good side. The bad side is many growth companies that you look at. The problem is, yes, they're growing their sales quickly, but they're also growing all their expenses in line with it. And that's not the kind of growth company that you want. Sure. It has to be something that's growing the, the it's getting more and more profitable as it's making more sales. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then what are your thoughts on like, I guess, for example, like margins and stuff like that, like do you ever like take averages and yes. I, I guess like mm -hmm. to sort of project it into the future if you kind of think about it from that perspective? Yeah, so the most common thing that I do is take the longest term uh, average of the past median in terms of like a sale uh, margin that would be like free cash flow to sales or operating margin to sales. So I take 10 or 15 years and assume that if they had made 5% on average in the past, then they will in the future. Uh -huh. And and that's important for some kinds of companies because, um, I mean, I found that very important for things like restaurants or something because either it's going to continue to have same store sales declines and 
um, have worse and worse margins now than it did in the past. Yeah. In which case, don't buy the stock no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Sure. But if you're convinced that this is a temporary problem and that it'll recover from it, then you shouldn't be using today's no, earnings. You, you need to be using the margins from the past. Yeah. yeah. Because the, just so people know, like same store sales declines at a restaurant are very, uh, and at, at stores, will cause very significant changes in like earnings sure. and stuff. So yeah. a very small change in terms of their top line can cause really big changes down there because of the economies of scale and things like that. Yeah. And I guess to your point from an earlier podcast, the best type of business to own is mm-hmm. one where you need the least amount of information, both from information perspective and a frequency perspective, right? right? And to your point of using the example of um, you know same store sales for a restaurant right. or, or retail place, mm-hmm. they, they give out information on that quite frequently. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you, want, you, you definitely want a business that has that you don't need to be seeing the information all the time. That seeing it once a year or something is fine. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, cool. Well, uh, I wanted to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself in today's podcast. We are in going to be in New York. We will not be in New York. York. We're, we're not going to be in New York. Yeah, no, we're going to record somewhere like, hey, we're in New <laughs> yeah, York. We're, but in New York. <laughs> we're going to be in New York November 11th through the 15th. So definitely reach out to invest at focuscompounding.com to get on the schedule. Uh, it's filling up fast. Uh, again, that is invest at focuscompounding.com and we will get back to you. Uh, if you're watching us on the YouTube side of things, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Join Jeff's email list at focuscompounding.com dot com enter in your email um, and make sure you leave us a rating review if you like the work that we are doing here i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with jeff and myself and we will see you in the next podcast hey this is andrew coon and that was the focus compounding podcast the podcast where jeff and i talk about actionable stock ideas investing concepts and the overall way that we think about investing at focus compounding capital management go to focuscompound.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week and be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompound.com I upload how to investing videos on YouTube and we both manage capital for investors at focus compounding capital management thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along